We live in a machine that gets us to neglect what is important to us about life. For decades, it was taught that the primary pathology for depression was abnormalities in neurotransmitters such as serotonin and norepinephrine. However, as time has gone on, they're finally starting to see that it's not just about the biology and how our brain works. It's also about our environment. And these are key contributors to why we are becoming a lonelier, more depressed, and more anxious society. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Diary of an Empath. So today I want to talk about the importance of human connection for overcoming anxiety and depression. This has been on my mind a lot lately, and I think with COVID, it has really forced us to be more technologically dependent when it comes to the way that we interact with each other on a day-to-day basis. Since the dawn of our evolution as a species, we have thrived by connecting with others. Our survival depended on it. We lived in packs or groups in order to hunt, find shelter, and protect each other from predators. And it was these traits that allowed us to advance from hunter-gatherer to now shopping on Amazon or by clicking an app to order food. I do it. I use Amazon. I use Shipped. Anything to make my life more convenient and my time more convenient. But is this really healthy for us? Is the rise of the digital era dehumanizing us? Since the start of COVID, this has been the question that has been on my mind. And I have personally seen the impact that COVID has had on depression in young adults. I've seen how it impacted my kid. So she was forced to stay at home during a time when she needed the most support. I worked in a hospital. I was in the middle of COVID having to work inpatient medical. I was not able to go home and she was forced to navigate puberty, middle school, and a new digital learning platform by herself. And I could only give her the support from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. or on the weekends. And that's not ideal as a parent. She was depressed, truly depressed, and she wasn't alone. We have seen this in young adults more so in COVID times that has tripled on the average rate when it comes to depression in young adults and teens. And even speaking to the school counselor, this was something that was happening throughout the school and throughout the nation. COVID was a great example of how human interaction or a lack of can affect anxiety, depression, and mental health. In 2019, before the pandemic, three out of five Americans reported being lonely. And after the pandemic, this number has increased, particularly among young people. The proposed reason for the rise in loneliness is a lack of social interaction and support from our peers and poor mental health. Simply put, we need human connection. Connecting with others on a physical and emotional level can improve our health and overall well-being. We are spiritual creatures. Human connection is in our DNA. We are not meant to be alone. We as a human species have evolutionized from being in packs, hunter-gatherers, and now we are so connected, but we are so disconnected. Human connection is the sense of closeness and belongingness a person can experience when having supportive relationships with those around them. 
connection is when two or more people interact with each other and each person feels valued, seen, and heard. There's no judgment and you feel stronger and nourished after engaging with them. And yes, it can be over a phone, it can be over FaceTime, but what kind of impact does this have on the brain? What kind of impact does this have on someone's emotions? And what kind of impact is this having on our bonding experiences? Most of us in COVID times are spending hours in front of a screen between work, school, social media, other platforms, and virtual connections seem to be the new norm. Classrooms have been traded in for Zoom calls, work lunches have been traded in for team invites, and in a world of virtual interactions more than the physical, human connection is now more important than ever. This is a new pandemic. Over the course of this pandemic, anxiety and depression has tripled. Some people experienced a lack of financial stability, a lack of surety, a lack of human connection, some lost their homes, and for some, people they loved. There have been so many studies that show the detrimental impact that poor social connection can have on the mind, body, and the immune system, and on depression and anxiety. Loneliness is the biggest descriptor of poor social connections, and in recent years, it has been shown that loneliness is on the rise. In particularly, it impacts the elderly, but it can also be a problem for younger people. With this problem growing, we have to ask the question, what has gone wrong in our world. That even we have become more socially connected through social media, we are actually becoming more isolated in our day-to-day direct human connections. One study showed that the lack of social connection has a greater detriment to the health than obesity, smoking, and it causes higher blood pressure. On the flip side, A strong social connection leads to a 50% increased chance of longevity. So in other words, you have a 50% chance of living even longer if you have stronger social connections in your life. There's a South African psychiatrist named Dr. David Summerfield. And when antidepressants were first introduced in the early 90s, Dr. Summerfield took these to Cambodia as they've never seen these types of drugs in the past. When he introduced these to the Cambodian doctors, they said, well, we already have antidepressants. We don't need these. He was confused and was like, what do you mean? He thought they were going to talk about some type of herbal remedy, maybe some herbs that they give their patients, some type of natural supplement that they give. And instead, they told him a story. They said there was a farmer in their community that worked in the rice field. And one day he stood over a landmine that was left over from the United States. He got his leg blown off. They gave him an artificial leg, and after a while, he went back to work in the rice fields, the very field that he got his leg blown off. Very traumatic, to say the least. So he was re-exposed to the very thing that was causing him trauma. The farmer got very depressed. He would cry all day long. He refused to get out of bed, and he developed all the symptoms of classic depression. The Cambodian doctor said that this is when we gave him an antidepressant. Dr. Summerfield said, well, what was it? They explained that they went and sat with him. They listened to him. They saw that his pain made sense. There was plausible reasons why he was depressed and upset because of the things that happened in his life. One of the doctors talked to the people in the village and they said, you know, if we bought this guy a cow, he would be a dairy farmer and he wouldn't have to work in the rice fields anymore. So that's what they did. They bought him a cow. Within a couple weeks, his crying stopped. 
Within a month, his depression was gone. They said to Dr. Summerfield, you see, doctor, the cow was the antidepressant. This goes hand in hand with what the evidence shows. If you're depressed or if you're anxious, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're broken. You are just a human being with unmet needs. Abraham Maslow was an American psychologist who was best known for creating Maslow's hierarchy of needs, a theory of psychological health that predicted on fulfilling innate human needs in priority. His theory suggests that there is a hierarchy that people are motivated to fulfill the basic needs before moving on to the other and the more advanced needs as they move up the chain. As a humanist, Maslow believed that people have an inborn desire to be self-actualized. In other words, to be all they can be. In order to achieve these ultimate goals, a number of more basic needs must be met, such as the need for food, safety, love, and self-esteem. So picture a pyramid. The lowest level of the pyramid is made up of the most basic needs. That's the safety, the food, the water, the things that you need to survive while the most complex needs are at the top of the pyramid. So needs at the bottom of the pyramid are going to be the basic physical requirements that you need to survive. Food, water, sleep, warmth. And once these lower level needs have been met, people can move on to the next level of needs, which are for safety and security. You go further up the pyramid and the need for personal self-esteem, feelings of accomplishment. Those types of things take priority as you go up the pyramid. And Maslow emphasized the importance of self-actualization, which is a process of growing and developing as a person in order to achieve individual potential. Many of the same reasons why you're listening to this podcast right now. Maslow stated that once the physiological needs and the security and safety needs have been met, that is when a person needs social needs. The social needs in Maslow's hierarchy include things such as love, acceptance, and belonging. And at this level, the need for emotional relationships drives human behavior. Some of these things that satisfy this can include friendships, romantic attachments, family, social groups, community groups, churches, spiritual groups, and in order to avoid problems such as loneliness, depression, anxiety, it's important for the people to feel loved and accepted by others. Personal relationships with friends, family, and lovers play an important role, as does the involvement in other groups that might include religious groups or sports teams or book clubs or other group activities. So depression and anxiety is not just a one-size-fits-all. If someone doesn't even have their basic needs met, their shelter, are they homeless? Are they getting food at night? Do they feel safe? Do they feel secure? How can they even focus on social relationships and the things that they need? And if they don't have those social relationships and the things that they need at a basic human level, how can they focus on getting out of anxiety and depression? Everything is linked. It's not always just a one-size-fits-all, take this pill and you'll feel better. We have to look at the person in environment. It's not just looking at the mental health diagnoses, but what else is contributing to that diagnosis in that person's life. I am not by any means saying that medication should be avoided because it does have some beneficial factors. And in many instances, it is good to have medication in order to have the best treatment option for certain individuals. And that is a discussion that you personally need to have with your psychiatrist or your doctor. But there should be more to anxiety and depression than just taking medication. 
Although, yes, it's a very small factor and it can help some, but it's like slapping a Band-Aid on a deeper-rooted problem. We need to talk less about chemical imbalances and more about the way that we live. How is our environment affecting our emotions and behaviors? This is deeper than our biology, so the solution needs to be deeper. There was a recent study that asked Americans, do you no longer feel like you are close to anyone? And 39% answered yes. We are a lonelier society now than we ever have been in the history of mankind. Yet, we are the most populated and the most easily connected society in human history. We're so connected, but yet so disconnected. Social media, although a great connection method, and it has enabled us to meet people from all over the world, has become a society of junk values. We value status, money, and we think that those things will make us happy when in fact studies show that those things make us more depressed. And some of you may be guilty for this in subtle ways. We all are. We've all been through it. Going through a breakup and you want to buy something new, wear a cute outfit, make a post on Instagram, make sure you look extra sexy, extra cute. Fuck them. I don't need them. I'm a bad bitch. You know what? We've all done it and that's okay. But when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to think about the shoes that you bought the sexy post you made on Instagram, the Instagram likes, you're going to think about the moments that you had, the memories that you've created, the relationships that you had in your life, the fulfillment and the things that made you happy. You're going to look back and wish you would have done more of that. And we're not stupid. We know that social media and those type of values are not important, but we value them anyway. We're taught to value these things. We live in a machine that teaches us that this is what should be valued. If you scroll on social media or you message one of your friends on social media about, let's say, diapers, now all of a sudden you're getting ads for all of these type of diapers. And maybe because you had mentioned Pride Month, now they're sending you things for the LGBTQ population and whatever it is that you talk about, all of a sudden you're getting ads pop up. I know all of you have experienced it. To even me sometimes, I'm like, they're listening to us. They know what is going on. AI technology can literally pinpoint per person what they want to target and we fall for it. Their goal is to keep us online and distracted as long as possible. Because if we are on Facebook and we're scrolling through or if we're on TikTok and we're scrolling through, they are making money. If we are putting our phones down and having an actual human connection and human conversations, they are not making money. So the goal is to keep us online as much as possible. We know these things, but yet we still do it. We know these things contribute to our anxiety and our depression, but yet we are still addicted to our phones. We still have less human interaction. We live in a machine that gets us to neglect what is important to us about life. For decades, it was taught that the primary pathology for depression was abnormalities in neurotransmitters such as serotonin and norepinephrine. However, as time has gone on, they're finally starting to see that it's not just about the biology and how our brain works. It's also about our environment. And these are key contributors to why we are becoming a lonelier, more depressed, and more anxious society. I've seen it firsthand. I am not a naturally anxious or depressed person. Of course, I have the normal anxiety that might be situational from dating or a breakup and dating nowadays will give anyone fucking anxiety and depression. 
But <laughs> I think that with COVID, it really opened my eyes to how social interactions has really, really affected mental health in this country. And it's a crisis and we need to treat it as such, especially with young adults. When these children, these kids were forced to stay home with COVID, they have literally seen increases with suicidal rates, suicidal ideations, depression, anxiety. Now they're in front of screens all day long trying to navigate life and homework and friends by themselves without any type of social support. This was a clear indication that it's not just about the biology of the brain that causes anxiety or depression, that it is 100% a result of the environment. And so many mental health clinicians have ignored this for so many years. It's really difficult to do this in a pandemic. What do you do? Because a lot of people want to be safe. They don't feel comfortable going out and interacting. And that's to each his own. That's your choice. So what can you do in the meantime? I am guilty of this, spending hours on my phone. Not only do I run a business, I'm also running social media platforms. I'm on my phone and in front of a screen for hours. So I am trying to make a conscious effort to spend less time on your phone. There's actually devices that you can use to lock up your phone at a certain time or for a certain time period, and you cannot get it until that time period is up. So if that's what you have to do in order to be more present and have human interaction, then do it. I would rather give somebody quality time over quantity. If I'm spending time with someone that I care about, I would rather get 30 minutes of your undivided attention rather than two hours of attention of you on your phone or maybe you talking to someone else or being distracted. Oftentimes I go out to restaurants and if you look around when you go the next time you go out to eat, you'll see more than 50% of the people on their phone and you might be guilty of this. Leave the phone in your car. It's not going to hurt you to stay off your phone for an hour, an hour and a half. We're so used to having our phones in our hands that we get anxiety when we don't have it with us. When we're not checking, we get anxious when we don't know what's going on in the digital world. That is called an addiction. Our phones have become an addiction and that's what they want because that's how they make money. We are becoming a society of junk values where we value our phone more than the person that's sitting right in front of us. So if we really want to tackle the depression and the anxiety and the mental health crisis that's going on in our society, first we need to tackle our environment and ask ourselves, what else is contributing to my anxiety and my depression? So before you just jump on medication, and again, I'm not saying that medication isn't for some, but ask yourself, what are you doing in your environment? Are your basic needs met? Are your relationship needs met? Because we are spiritual creatures. We need, not only on a biological level, on a physiological level, and on a spiritual level, we need human interaction within our lives in order to function, in order to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And my hope that there is someone listening right now that resonates with this and says, you know what? I need to reach out to my friend. I need to reach out to my sister, my brother. 
I need to reach out to my battle buddy in the military. I need to reach out to someone I care about and give my support and make sure that they're okay because I can guarantee you it will make a world of difference. So once again, I am so humbled and grateful for the continuous support that all of you have been giving when you come back every single week and listen to these episodes. That's what keeps me going and that's what keeps me doing this. I'm so humbled and grateful for each and every one of you. So thank you so much and see you on the next episode of Diary of an Empath.